Have you ever wondered what goes on in the mind of a magician? My guest today is Greg Wilson, who is known as the honest con man. That alone we have to talk about. Greg is a top magician specializing in close-up magic, sleight of hand, and confidence trickery. Past celebrity clients have included Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tony Curtis, Ted Danson, Mel Brooks, Jamie Foxx, Ice-T, Ashton Kutcher, Kevin Pollack. He is also a teacher of the art of persuasion. You can find more from him online at gregorywilson.com. And you can also see him in action across social media and on YouTube. Thank you so much for joining me today, Greg. Delighted to be here. What got you initially started in this? And why is there a continual draw to this day? You've had a really, really long career of being an entertainer. Well, it's interesting you say that. If somebody asks how long I've been doing this, if they're a young, cute girl in their 20s, I've been, um, well, the truth is I've been doing it 35 years, but if they're young and cute, I've been doing it five. <laughs> uh, can you imagine? They're like, you've been doing how, what? So 30, it's actually more than that now. It's 30, 38 years. That's unbelievable. 38 years? Where has the time gone? Listen, I say, I ask that often, and I look at my passport. I've been to, uh, I've uh, performed and traveled in forty-seven countries. Uh, I just got back from a nine-country tour of Asia. Um, I get paid to play. And uh, regarding persuasion, if I could make the segue myself, about twelve years ago, there was a gentleman who came to watch one of my lectures in Fresno of all places. And he was this um, psychology and sociology professor at the University of Fresno. And he was studying compliance practitioners, as he calls it. And those are people who persuade other people for a living in the form of uh, managers or salesmen or uh, politicians. And he happened to uh, come to my lecture and wanted to study how I might have persuaded people. And he came up after the lecture and said, you're an influence, a maven. I said, I'm a what? <laughs> you're, a, you're a persuasion expert. Uh, I am. I would what love I to be called a persuasion maven. That would be <laughs> that would be the best thing ever. So I'm sure that you loved hearing that. Well, I didn't know what he meant by it, to be honest with you. I I asked him in detail and he said, you did this, this, that, and the other. I went, that's very interesting. I didn't know I did it deliberately. And he says, well, if you could do it more deliberately and put it in the form of a, a lecture next month, we're having a guest speaker slot available and you can speak to the students and the, uh, and the faculty. I did that, went over like gangbusters and I realized here's another revenue stream that I completely never counted on. And that's taken me all over the country. That is fascinating. So what was kind of the, the nature of that presentation that you gave? Did you have a specific topic that you were touching upon? Yeah, I, I just started off explaining how what I do for a living is, uh, is persuasion uh, uh, in general. It's, it's, uh, everything I do fundamentally is about persuasion, making you see what I want you to see, making you think the way I want you to think, making the... Uh, the unbelievable believable, making the impossible possible. It's all persuasion. It's visual persuasion. It's psychological persuasion. And I, I, I guess after lots of uh, introspective study that I persuade people 
professionally and personally all day long. And in fact, that's one of the hallmarks. Everybody is persuading somebody all day, every day. Even if you're a college, you know, um, a college professor, you know, I almost said even, no, definitely a college professor trying to, uh, to teach their students through persuasion, get, uh, um, uh, getting them to improve their grades, trying to get college grants, trying to, um, um, I mean, just everybody, a parent trying to get their, uh, their kids to eat their broccoli and do their homework. I mean, everybody's trying to persuade somebody. And I just realized there's so many common denominators about what I do on stage psychologically that I transfer those to people in the real world from the, from the boardroom to the bedroom. Ah, <laughs> that's from really Wall Street to Main Street. <laughs> that's really interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people don't like the term sales, for example. They don't think of themselves as a salesperson. And I don't think most of people really think of themselves as someone who persuades on a day-to-day basis. So that's a really interesting connection that you've made, that it's something that's going on every single day, but you might not connect with what you're doing. Well, if they're trying if they're trying to tell you they don't persuade or set uh, or 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 um or, uh, or sell, they're actually trying to persuade you and sell you <laughs> on the fact that they don't persuade or sell, which is what we call a self-stultification, to use a big $10 term. Ooh. For those who say, I don't believe in absolutes, I always ask them, you believe that absolutely? <laughs> There's no such thing as truth. Is, is that a truthful viewpoint? <laughs> so this is why philosophers always win in debates. What's the number one tip that you think you use every single day? You know, I would say the golden rule of persuasion is realizing that people have free will. And there's an old saying, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So you may think you have persuaded them, but as soon as you leave, they're gonna go back to their old ways and you're not going to get them to see your way of thinking. You're not going to get them to yes. And if people feel cornered or coerced into, um, into a process, into a thinking process, they're going to mentally counter-argue, go in the opposite direction, even at the expense of their own self-interest. They just won't follow along. So a friend of mine wrote a book that I frankly completely disagree with. I, and it's, it's called uh, How to Persuade People Who Don't Want to Be Persuaded. It just, it, it just goes against the grain of reality. You can't do that. People well, will not have that. It Again, sounds like it even, breaks your rule completely. Yeah, and it's not even my rule. It's a golden rule. It's, I think it's just human nature in general. And uh, you put just a modicum of time and thought into this and you realize you can't force somebody. It's not force, it's finesse. And that's exactly the way it works on stage when I do my, uh, my psychological illusions. You want people to think it's their own idea. And to do that, I have what I call collaboration bait. Okay, it's we, absolutely fascinating. We're going to have to get into this. So this, this is part of the reason why I'm really fascinated with how to use persuasion because I think it's something that people can use in everyday conversations where they normally would kind of shy away from them. I like to think of those as difficult conversations. And so I want to know kind of, can you walk me through an example of how you've used this? Like set me up a a scenario. 
I'll set you up a scenario on stage. There's, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm exposing anything. I think some people may suspect what I'm about to share with you. They, if I do it right, they should never detect it, let alone suspect it. Okay. I mean, I could tell you in advance what's going to happen with the following move, and you just will have no idea. And that is called the classic force. You force a playing card on somebody out of 52 cards. You could shuffle the deck. You cut the deck. You mix it up as much as you want. And I can make you, I would never say that, but I can make you take the card I want you to take. And 100% looks like it's your own decision. And you do that with the psychological secrets. One of them being reach and withdraw. If I reach too much, you're going to withdraw. If I withdraw, you I almost said will, but may reach. It's never guaranteed. It's never 100% in terms of this reach and withdraw. You can't force somebody, especially if I told you in advance, I'm going to make you take this card. I could do that, and it could still work, but it's so much better if you think it's your own idea, and that's part of the collaboration process. So give me an example where this comes out in a dialogue between two people. Let me give you an example of collaboration bait. If I want to win somebody over to my way of thinking, I would have a natural conversation, really not 100% knowing where it's gonna go. I have a destination, but I don't have a blueprint or a map. All I'm waiting for now in that conversation is for somebody to say something that's favorable to me. And what would that look like? Give me an example of what that looks like, just something that's favorable. You know, say I'm selling a car. Okay. And somebody says something about uh, how they will look in the car. I go, oh, well, that's interesting. You mean so, uh, you know, people buy on emotions. They usually do. with the car anyway. So, you know, a guy could show up with all the stats and all the reasons why, you know, the um, uh, a consumer digest or a, um, uh, what are these other companies that tell you all the specifications of the car. The bottom line, he gets in the car and he puts the top down. He feels the wind in his three hairs. <laughs> he, he buys. So if he brings up an emotional reason why he may want the car, you run with that. You say, so you ask him feeling questions, not thinking questions. And uh, I don't know exactly what the scenario would be. I should have some examples next time I get interviewed like this. But it would basically... Whatever he says, I go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me, tell me more about that. Are you saying blah? And don't, you don't necessarily make them elaborate. You actually say, are you saying blah, blah, blah? So you don't put them on the spot. So if you get them to say yes or no, yes or no, you ask them a yes or no question, get them to say yes, two, three, four times in a row. They're basically agreeing to what they already started. Wow. So are you saying that, that blah, blah, blah? And he goes, yes. I go, well, that's interesting. I love that. That's fascinating. So that would also mean that blah, 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 blah. And they go, yes. I go, what a great idea. Tell me more. And now at this point, you've given them enough bait. They can actually elaborate on their own above and beyond the yes or no. So how do you look at the difference between something in persuasion? How do you look at the difference between it coming authentically? and truthfully from you versus manipulating how do you feel about 
about that connection? Is there That's any? That's a really, really good question. Here's how I would answer that. I call it positive manipulation. Okay. Just because you know it's manipulation doesn't make it bad or unethical. You already know about it. It's too late. You can't go back. It is manipulation. Manipulation is not necessarily, first of all, a pejorative term. In, in, in magic, in sleight of hand, manipulation just means whatever you're holding, you're manipulating it. You're doing whatever it takes to execute that particular sleight. So you can manipulate a physical – I wonder if I have something here. And I don't. I thought I had a, a, a big coin. I was going to show you something. So you, you're manipulating a physical object or you can manipulate their mind. The bottom line, manipulation is not a bad thing. It just means to be nimble with your fingers. Interesting. Very interesting. So manipulation in and of itself, again, is not a bad thing. It's what you do with it. So the one-minute salesman has a great uh, section in there called the wonderful paradox. And it goes like this. Oh, I got a call coming in. That's lovely. I'll let that go. It goes like this. A man uh, – how's it go? Uh, if you genuinely and sincerely give somebody what they want, you'll abundantly get back in return what you want. But you shouldn't do it as a give to get. You shouldn't have that expectation. But you do know, though, that the reciprocity rule will kick in and people will give you back in return. They'll feel psychologically um, beholden, if not burdened, to return that favor. So let's talk a little bit more about the reciprocity rule just so that everyone knows what that is. Well, Cialdini in his book Influence talks a lot about this. But I was aware of this long before I read that book. That just really reinforces it. And I came up with an acronym even before I read that book um, for that uh, first influence seminar that I was going to do for the uh, University of Fresno. And it's M-A-G-I-C. It's corny. It sounds corny. I know it advances corny. So I don't tell the audience, hey, we're going to learn a little bit magic, <laughs> a little bit about magic. Let me tell you about the five magic words. You know, that sounds so corny, but you use it as a uh, – as a guidepost or a memory tool for yourself. And the first one, M, is the single most important one to get people to see your way of thinking, not just go in your direction, but to see it first, and that is to melt. And I always picture a candle. If a candle is, um, is uh, dry, it's brittle, and you can't maneuver it or manipulate it the way you want. So what do you do? You melt it first by warming it up. You do. So you warm up the crowd. Same thing in my shows. You have to warm up the audience before you, um, before you um, present your illusions because basically you're threatening their sense of order and logic by fooling them. But if you make it look like it's more – the narrative or the story is more important than the manipulation of their mind – They'll go along with it. Who's going to interrupt a story? That's why stories are so important in the Bible. It's a great shut-up technique, by the way. If you're in the middle of a heated debate with somebody, you go, you know, that reminds me of an interesting story. You can hear and smell the breaks. People will listen to you once you have a story because human beings are hardwired to hear the end of a story. So once you say, if you say once upon a time, they're waiting for that happily ever after. 
stories are a fantastic way to gain more um, attention and time in the debate. So you can say that in any circumstance. So if, for example, there's a big crowd around, say, one person, for example, and you wanted to basically get the attention of the group, you could simply just say, hey, that reminds me of a story. It works in any possible scenario. It's amazing. It works like magic. It's truly, truly amazing. And these techniques, these five acro- this acronym of five uh, letters or words work, again, like magic. It sounds so corny, but the five magic words um, will work also when you're in a pinch because there's so many different ways to persuade people. But if you're in a pinch and you're under the uh, under the gun, um, you just have to uh, uh, think of any one of these things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in that order, but it's preferable if it is because melt is the first thing you do. For example, if I want to get out of a speeding ticket, the last thing you want to do is argue with the officer. You want to melt him. You want to get him to uh, realize that you're normal, you're um, you're safe and uh and you're a regular guy. And I do this with humor in humility. That works all day, every day. Humor in humility. This and, reminds me of something that you told me about when you had an interaction with the police officer. What did you say? Do you remember this? You told me a story about this. This is, <laughs> I get pulled over a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not 100% sure. Um, you know, in my book that I'm writing on persuasion, I have a section of how to get out of, out of speeding tickets that's called cop-outs. <laughs> so I have lots of scenarios. I love you it. You know, one of them is, one of them is, so th- first of all, here's the fight or flight. This okay. is where the officer is. He's got a high stress level when he pulls you over. And this is you. He'll never come down to your level, so you should never expect him to go there. But if you can get him just to quell his concerns, and his stress level about halfway, you're closer to getting him to let you off with just a warning. And I've got so many warnings. So what does that look like? How do you bring somebody down in that particular situation? How do you, how do you melt them? What's an example of that? Well, I never have a specific formula that I use every single time because I just feel the moment and use what available resources I have based on that scenario. So I remember going, um, I was going to LA, I was on the 110 freeway and I was probably going about 110. (laughs) That's how I know how fast to go by the number on the freeway. It's very deceptive. It's It's very very deceptive. deceptive. You know, and there, I just remember. What do you do on the 405? You get out your jetpack. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> That's why that uh, little. Greg's got a very secret car. No one else knows this, but now everyone does that his car will go 405 miles per hour through the air. <laughs> um, so I remember him pulling me over, and I said, Oh, so here's the scenario. Uh, everybody was going, uh, it was rush hour traffic, so everybody was going about 20 miles an hour. Then out of the blue, this weird perfect storm scenario happened where everybody in front of me either moved to the left or moved to the right. And it was like I was on a Canon camera or something. <laughs> For the next 500 yards, it was just completely open. And of course, I took advantage, feeling like Moses, and I, <laughs> I gunned. 
cop sees me do that, pulls me over, and uh, I, I talk myself out of uh, talk my way out of the speeding ticket. And I asked him, "How did I do that?" Once I didn't, I wasn't satisfied with just a yes or <laughs> success of of getting off with just a warning. I want to know what I did so I could replicate that experience. He said, "The first thing you did is you acknowledged me." Okay. So and was as that I was saying, pulling over, was that I saying, did one of these, okay. so he could see in 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 the in my uh, my back window. I did I did this like I'm moving right over. So you use you know, your finger and you basically gestured that you got it. You you see him and you're just going to move over now. Okay. And I admitted that he's the winner. He got you. He got me. I acknowledge that uh, you know it's 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 them against us, whether we like it or not. You know they're trying to get us. We're trying not to be got. And uh, so he caught me. I move over. I did everything I could uh, as quickly as possible. Made myself look as safe as possible. Did the old 10 and 2 afterwards. When he walked up, I was as nice as possible. And the first thing he sa- I said to him is, oh, come on. He goes, you know why I pulled you over? And I go, of course I know why. But come on. <laughs> come on what? I go, come on. You saw the opening, right? You saw the opening. You would have done the same thing. Come on. And he goes, well. Yeah, you kind of got me. I would have. So I felt the moment, didn't know what I was going to say, but I uh, tuned myself to that particular scenario. And it got him to go from here to here, and then we could have a conversation, and he'd be open to my persuasion. It's You know what? It's like a yellow. It's like a green, yellow, and red light. Okay. You can't persuade people when the light is red. They're no, just dead set against it. You can't. Yeah. That makes total and sense. In the, in the case of the officer, he'll never get to green um, where he just says, yes, 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 yes. But I at least got him to yellow. You know, I take that back because green is a yes. So I got him from red to yellow to green. You sure did. In, in a gradual process. So is there another and, step? And it to- also helped, by the way, when I showed him my get out of jail free card. <laughs> I feel like we all need to make one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have yours on your website for download? He goes, Here's your ticket. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'm not going to take you to jail. <laughs> not good. So what I, I also have, and it's kind of unfair to be sharing this with you because it requires sleight of hand technique to do it, but I actually do have, as the last resort, an unbelievable miracle, if that's not redundant, to get out of the speeding ticket 99.9% of the time. On the back of that um, get out of jail free card that was just in my wallet, and in the wallet is a sealed envelope. So picture this. So here's my wallet. Okay. The officer asks for three things, license, registration, and insurance. I give that to him. Right. And I say, oh, there's one other thing you might be interested in. Curiosity headline. Everybody loves a curiosity. What you got? Bring it on on the edge of a seat. I take out my wallet, I unzip it, I reach inside, I pull out an envelope, I rip open the envelope because they never want to touch anything, and I, it, it, you can feel the anticipation in the air as I dump out the contents of the envelope, and it's the get out of jail free card, which always makes them laugh if not smile, or smile if not laugh. I said, that's not the amazing part. More curiosity. Get them reaching, remember, reach and withdraw. Get them to reach as much as possible. Hand him the card, which he will take at that point. I say, turn it over. On the back of it is some predictive information that blows their mind. 
and just puts them into a cognitive tailspin because they don't know who I am. They don't know what I do for a living. And on the back of it, it says, I, Officer Wayne, <laughs> will be so amazed and amused on the date of, and I have that date written in, that I'll let Greg off with just a mere warning. And he reads it. I say, read that out loud. Most of the time they don't, but I just say, read it. And once, once I see their eyes bug out and I go, come on, what kind of story <laughs> would this be for your colleagues? Come on. Don't you want to be able to tell that story? What am I doing? I'm getting them to say yes. The more yeses, he says, uh, mentally or verbally, the more yeses, the more yeses, the more I get what I want in the, in the long run. So what are us regular folk going to do and in by that the situation? Way, ask <laughs> the That's the A in magic. Ask. You don't ask. You don't get. I go, come on. A warning? A warning? That's, that's worth the story. A warning, isn't it? Ask for what you want. So many people are afraid to ask. So are you now teaching a class on how to pull out the get out of jail free card? With I, I am not. I am not. That's my own little pet private thing here. So you're not getting that out of me. That's, That's not even story. fair. <laughs> you can't tease us with this great get out of jail uh, idea and then not tell us how to do it. <laughs> You know, that part I can't tell, but uh, there are many other little psychological secrets that I do share in my seminars. Well, since we talked about A, and the uh, next one I presume would be G, so what is G? G is give. That's the reciprocity rule. Okay. All right. So in what, in this example of the police officer, how would that apply? You give him a great story. Give him you a great give story. You give him a great scenario. You give him your, your, you know what you give him? Manners. How many people have the um, are cognizant, cognizantly aware of uh, uh, or consciously aware of saying, I'm going to make a concerted effort to be extra polite, knowing full well that when people try to get out of a ticket, they do it in the worst possible way. They argue who's going to win every single time there. And they hear it all day, every day. You have to have empathy. You have to get into their shoes. You have to think the way that they think. And they just have people arguing all day, every day. So once you agree with them, they're like, what's going on? Now, I wouldn't agree completely because there are some officers do ab that abide by the law that if you admit that you're wrong, right. there's no way out of it. Right. You shall be, not maybe, you shall be held accountable if you admit it. So there's a great technique that I learned a long time ago. It's, it's, it's 20 years I've been using this, and here it is. You could be right. Wow. It's a great line. It's a great line. You never admit that you're wrong. You never admit that they're right. You just basically find and replace one word. You've taken could. all the rancor out of it. You, you could be right, and you do it with a sincere smile. And what do they say about sincerity? Once you fake that, then you can do anything. <laughs> it's an old joke. It's an old joke. <laughs> I got that from Jack Benny. <laughs> love it. Love it. Sincerity is the key to the universe. And once you can fake that. <laughs> See, we are getting all the tools right now. What about I? What is I in the magic formula? I is the hardest one to remember. And the reason I say that in advance is so you try harder to remember it. Love it. You just warmed it's, this up right there. And I gave you a little gem. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's called inoculate. 
inoculate. Like when you inoculate somebody to a disease, you give them what? You give them a little bit of that disease. You do. So you, you hit them with a preemptive strike by overcoming the objection before it arises that I call OTOBIA. It's a silly acronym that only my friends know. But uh, How do you spell that? O-T-O-T-O-B-I-A. Okay. Otobia. Otobia. Overcome the objection before it arises. I'll give you an example. Um, and I know you've heard this a million times before, which is one right there. <laughs> Here's how it works. If I say it before you think it, I win. If you think it before I say it, the audience wins or you win. So it's again, it's a preemptive strike. So it's not just uh, persuasion, it's persuasion. You're persuading them in advance uh, and defusing the cannon. What's easier to defuse the fuse on the cannon or to take the cannonball you know, to the chest? So this seems like that you would have to have an intention ahead of time really to be able to to utilize some of these. Like you would have to know what your end game is because if you're going to persuade someone, you have to know what steps that somebody may be thinking about in advance. Am I correct on that? Well, you said two things that I like. First of all, you have to know in advance what they are thinking. Right. Uh, what, what they will think. And you have to have a destination in mind. So you have to know where you're going so you can reverse engin engineer it. Right. And you have to get in their head to think how they may react. So um, uh, let's give some other examples of uh, Otobia. Um, here's the classic. With all due respect, <laughs> what are you going to do now? They obviously know you're going to say something slightly disrespectful, right. at least slightly disrespectful. That's the first one. Another one would be, um, you know, I don't want to rain on your parade. <laughs> Here's the beautiful part about this, the beautiful part about this. And it works 100% of the time. Tell me where you get that kind of a surety in life. People will mentally counter argue for you. Wow. So if I said, I don't want to rain on your parade, Mentally, if not verbally, they'll say, bring it on. What do you got? They're basically saying, hey, it's a little dry in here anyway. I could use a little rain. I got an umbrella. What do you got? <laughs> bring it on. Bring it on. I remember I, I talked to Larry Elder one time, uh, the famous radio talk show host. He, he had that line, bring it on, when I said, um, if I told you how much you've influenced and inspired my way of thinking, I would be effusive in my praise. He goes, bring it on. What do you got? As opposed to being you know, falsely modest and go, oh, stop. Right. So basically, every time you use a Tobia, they mentally counter argue in your favor, in your direction, asking almost to be persuaded. And you know who's the master of this? The master of this. And I've written them down. I've got probably... 20 of them, and I would share this in a, in a seminar, Obama, his speech writers are brilliant at, uh, at Atobia. Uh, before, when he was campaigning, before he became president the first time, he said, you know, uh, you know, I, I know what you're thinking, which is, by the way, is the first start of any Atobia line. I know what you're thinking. I don't look like any of those, uh, other presidents on the uh, on the uh, on the uh, on our denomination on our on our on our currency on our bills. 
what do you say, on the $1 bill, the $5 bill, any of these, I don't look like them. So you're saying, oh, no, no, that's okay. You don't have to look like them to be our president. He does it all the time and he's really, really, really good at it. That's fascinating. That's really, well, really, really, really interesting. At it. <laughs> yeah, and I hear this all the time. I hear different variations of this all the time, but I don't think even people really know what they're doing most of the time. I'm gonna see if I can find, if I have a list, Obama-atobia. I think I even call it Obama-tobia. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, he says, uh, Obama-tobia. Uh, you know what? I've got it so scattered in here. Oh, I, I just wrote here, it employs a tactic that he accuses the other side of. He does that a lot. Whatever he, um, whatever that offense may be that he's about to execute, he blames that on the other side. Did you write um, down an example of how he did that? What, what he said? Uh, let's see. They're using a straw man argument again. Oh, he says right there, they're using a straw man argument against me. And then you, and then he goes ahead and uses a straw man argument. <laughs> um, having the media as an accomplice is how he gets away with it. The media is the game changer in the equation. Uh, I wish I had some examples. I know I do, but this can be really boring because it's a really long list. Oh, Hi Hillary actually used one. I may not be the youngest candidate in this presidential race, but I will be the youngest woman president in the history of the United States. Wow. Spins it right around. Spins it right around. And the best part about Atobia, like I say, it works every single time. It's a, what it is, it's a great smokescreen. Are we walking down a chronological way of using this these tactics or are these things that can be moved around now melt obviously that would not come at the end that would be a step one well, but can you think is, of him chronologically melt is step one but ask can be later okay all right so we, we don't can, have to use these in get, order you know what i'm gonna put you on the spot fire away bring it on i haven't <laughs> even asked you to memorize it but these are so easy to uh, memorize and apply, I'm gonna put you on the spot and ask you in a row. So you just said M is melt, what is A? Ask. G? Give. And the hardest one to remember? Inoculate. And the last one that I've already talked about but I didn't tell you it was the C? Collaborate. That's it. So yes, they can be used in and out of order. Okay. But melt is the most important one I would start with. And Yeah, I'd say all the other ones aren't necessarily in concrete in one particular line. They're not linear. But there are only a few of them, which is great, because some tactics that I see, I see uh, like the 13 principles, the 99 ways, and that's too much to hold on to. But if I've got five things that I know what to work with and say I want to start the conversation, well great. So step number one is melt. And then I kind of go from there. Like you said, there's no perfect way of having a conversation with somebody. It may be time to uh, give a little in the conversation. That might be what is being called for. Or Sometimes it's a physical give. Sometimes it's a, 
a metaphorical or a figurative give in the negotiation process. Right. I'll give you this. I'll grant you that. That's a good point. I understand what you're saying. Uh, just be conciliatory. So give us some ideas of, of then collaborate. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? Is that just that we're in it together? That's exactly it. You're just going hand in hand in the collaboration process. Listen, right now, um, I invent tricks and I sell them to other magicians around the world. And there's two magic companies right now, the big boys on the blocks, the, the 800 pound gorillas who um, want one particular effect that I just created. One wants to buy it. One's really a, a retailer. One's a wholesaler. The retailer doesn't want the distributor. One who's a retailer doesn't want to buy it from the wholesaler because they <laughs> want that extra 20% margin. Of course. So what I've done, I've collaborated with each side saying, I hear what you're saying. I understand through empathy. And I go to the other one and I say the same thing. But basically what I've done now, I said, look, I feel like I'm in the middle of this vice grip. I'm going to stand out of it. I'm going to let you, you two work it out. That's, I'm literally letting both of them in on it so they can collaborate with each other. Otherwise, here's the final analysis. They're both going to lose. I say, if you guys can't work it out and you can't play ball, I'm going to take the ball and go home without you being that crude. <laughs> I've basically said, I'll sell them direct retail to the end user myself. That way, you guys don't have to uh, go through all this stress. Oh, so compassionate. I'm very compassionate. <laughs> it's amazing what I'll do for a full retail pop. So listen, those five magic words, like I said, can be um, – used anytime, anywhere, under any conditions if you want to persuade people. And um, I have formulas of how I do it on stage because it's almost the same way every single time. And the reason I say it is human beings are remarkably predictive. Once you profile people and you understand how they think and how they respond, how they act, react, and interact, it can be remarkably accurate. How does that change if somebody knows that you're skilled at persuasion? So say somebody has that context that you're going to be using persuasion techniques. Is it still effective or is you that know, part of the game? it's not as effective. That's why you have to be a hidden persuader. Okay. You know, I don't just try to keep my sleight of hand concealed and below the threshold of their awareness. I also keep the persuasion technique under wraps as well. Because if people sense that they're being techniqued, they're going to go in the opposite direction and it's going to be a miserable failure. So therein lies another lesson is don't be blatant. Don't be blatant. Don't be blatant. Never say, I'm going to make you or you're going to and this is how it's going to go down. Yeah, right. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever worked for me in the past either. <laughs> you know, Again, personally and professionally, it's just it's, it's an uphill uh, uphill battle. So why work that hard? Not at all. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's many different things I teach in my seminar about verbal judo as well. Not not being forceful. Once you once you feel it's being forceful, you just go in their line of thinking, go in their direction. It's like a keto, you know. You just, it's more of a sway. I love the word sway mm -hmm. instead of persuade. It's the, it's the, I put the sway and persuade. It's just 
It's just there's a sense of harmony. Once yeah. you feel that there's a resistance, you know you're the one who has to do the uh, the moving. Well, I have to thank you so much, Greg, for your time and offering to be with us today. You've been listening to Greg Wilson. And to get a hold of him, you can visit GregoryWilson.com. Check out his videos. Check out his tricks. Um, they will blow your mind. Thank you so much, Greg. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, oh, by the way, are we still on? Yeah. I do private parties and corporate events. You don't ask, you don't get.